Hello, this is Sold, a podcast to help you buyers and sellers move. There's so many property podcasts out there, but the majority of them are talking to investors and trying to get people to become investors. This podcast is for normal people who are looking to buy and sell and try and navigate the complex and confusing world of the property market. My name is Ollie Lucraft. I've been an estate agent for a while. I'm a estate agent based down in Brighton and Hove. So every week I'll be talking about a new topic, either with someone who's an expert in their field or someone who's in the process of making a move or has just made a move. So here we are. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for listening. Hello. Good morning. So it is first week of July. Um, Property market is busy, busy, busy. Um, Lots of people who are looking to buy and sell. I think mainly because they haven't been able to for a while. Um, People have been, I guess, well, basically stuck in their homes for three months, give or take. And a lot of things have changed in that time, obviously. Changes to people's perceptions of what they need from their life. So do they value having loads of space? Do they want to be in town? Do they want to be out of town? And also changes to people's situation. So a lot of people, um, a lot of people have been affected directly and indirectly by coronavirus and um, potentially death in the family um, or, or loved ones or friends who have potentially had their lives changed um, because of coronavirus. So there's a lot of people thinking about what they want to do both in the short term and the long term, with property. Um, and so I think that's transpired that there's a lot of people who are who are offering on stuff. There's a lot of properties that um, come on the market and go under offer really, really quickly. And obviously my experience is based down in Brighton Hove. Um, that's where I'm a estate agent. Um, I was an estate agent in London, but haven't been there for a number of years. Today, I'm going to try to talk about house prices. And really, what what do we talk about? What do we mean when we talk about house prices? So there are two big banks in the UK, um, Nationwide and Halifax, who release data every month about what they are seeing happening to house prices. It's called the, the House Price Index. Um, and they release figures and data based on the mortgages that they've offered in the last month. So it's quite a good tool um, to have in your arsenal when you speak about um, property prices. Obviously, there's a couple of things there. It's a generic tool um, which uses mortgage offers as a way to show what's happening to the average house price over time. It's not a particularly good tool if you're using it in a static like this is what the average house price is on this date in, well, we're in July in 2020. Um, because obviously, what is the average house? You know, what is the average property in the UK? If you're in London, you're going to have a very different perspective on what the average price is to if you're in Brighton, to if you're in Manchester, to if you're in Cardiff. You know, that an average property in those four places is going to be very different to each other. Um, so it's not a very good tool for using as a static, this is the price of a home in the UK. What it is a good tool for is to see any indicators of what's happening over time. Um, and the generic change that's happened over time is that prices have increased over time. I would highly recommend that you just Google house price index um, and you will 
be able to find um, pretty quickly a generic image or graph showing house prices over time. Um, what you'll see is that it's a relatively steady um, increase. There's a couple of big dips in there. Um, you've got one around the financial crisis in 2008, uh, where you'll see the average home dropped um, and then it, it will go back up again. And over time, um, the general trend is that property prices have increased over time. So um, what's going to happen to prices going forward? That's a question that, I mean, I get asked hundreds of times um, as an estate agent. Really, you know, it, it's one of those things, people don't want to make a bad investment decision. And I get that. And houses aren't purely investment decisions. However, there's a couple of things that we can use to predict prices and, and the one thing I say is that no one knows what's going to happen to prices in the short term no one knows really what's going to happen to prices today tomorrow the next month there's some indicators you can use and there's some things you can talk about but most people will have a general idea of what they think is going to happen to property prices over the long term um, now that pubs have just started opening I can start saying this again I always used to say to people um, right, walk into your nearest pub, walk into your local pub and ask everyone in the pub if they think the value of their home or property prices will be higher now or in 10 years time. I can guarantee you that most people who you ask that question to will say that they believe that property prices will be higher in 10 years time than they are now. And there's a couple of reasons for that. Um, one is really the basic law of supply and demand. So supply, when we're talking about houses, is really the number of houses that are available at the moment. So the number of flats, houses, buildings that are lived in, basically dwellings within the UK. And when I say UK, generally I'm referring to England and Wales. Scotland has different legislation to England and Wales um, regarding property. So uh, as a rule, talking about England and Wales. Supply has been relatively flat for the, over, the, over the years. We're just not building enough houses as a country. But supply has been relatively consistent. And demand is the other side of that equation. But there's a couple of things that make up that demand. There's people who are buying to live in. There's people who are buying as an investment. You know, it's not just those two things. There's, there's other people who are buying properties for for various reasons. They're buying them for for family members to live in, so not necessarily in his investment, but to, to help out family, or or any other number of reasons. But the thing that's changed over time is that as, because we've got a population that has grown in size, demand has increased over time. As well as that, people have seen a relatively good long-term return on their investment from property. So as well as the number of people in the UK um, increasing, the number of people who've bought property as an investment has increased. And obviously there's been changes to that and, and I'll, I'll talk about that. Generally, what you've seen over the last generation or so is supply be pretty consistent, but demand increasing. And what you have um, under most economists' predictions in those environments is when demand increases and supply stays the same, price increases. Um, it's a pretty well-known fact that 
as demand increases, price also increases. Um, what we've seen, um, and that sort of goes back to the house price indexes that I spoke about from the Halifax and Nationwide, they have they have reiterated that that point and that prices have increased over time. Um, there's obviously going to be regional discrepancies to this. You know, there's going to be areas of the UK, um, areas of England and Wales that increase quicker or slower than other areas. And um, that's maybe an indicator of certain areas growing um, quickly in terms of population, in terms of demand. We'll talk about jobs and stuff like that. Um, but to to use a, for the for the main conversation I'm going to have today, it's going to be really about what's happening in, in the UK as a whole, in England and Wales as a whole. So um, outside of supply and demand, there are huge number of factors that in, that will impact the value of your property or the value of the property that you want to buy. Those factors can have two effects. They can either have an, an inflationary effect on prices. That means they will increase prices or they can have a deflationary effect. That means they'll decrease prices. So if we use, um, let's use interest rates as an example. It's a really good example of, of what happens. So the Bank of England sets the interest rate um, or the base rate, um, which then impacts the interest rate that banks charge their customers. Um, so when you're getting a mortgage, um, you will be offered an interest rate by a bank or a broker. And that figure will be X percent for a period of time. Normally, there's an introductory rate. So it'd be a fixed rate for two years. And then after that, it will change. It'll be, sometimes it's five years, sometimes it's 10 years, sometimes it's just a variable rate depending on the Bank of England's base rate. Now, if the Bank of England decide to increase interest rates, what happens as a rule is that the costs of borrowing, the interest rate that banks will charge you will also increase because the amount that the banks are being charged by the Bank of England to hold money increases. So that gets passed on to consumers, to people like you who are looking to buy, and if the cost of buying increases, then the value of the property that you're buying, in theory, should decrease. There's obviously exceptions to that rule. We'll talk more about um, the ease of credit uh, later on. But so the general principle is that if interest rates increase, the cost of borrowing increases, and therefore the price of property should decrease. However, if interest rates are lowered, the cost of borrowing go down. So the interest rate that you're charged by the bank may go down. Um, and therefore, the price of property should increase. Um, again, there are discrepancies to that, but that's the general principle. Um, obviously, the Bank of England's target is to keep inflation in the economy at within a certain level. And they, they've got a target of 2% set by the government. And the idea is that they keep inflation in the UK within a reasonable figure of that 2%. The effect that it has on different prices, different aspects of the economy all go into the decision whether or not to raise or lower interest rates. Interest rates are at the lowest level they have ever been in the history of the Bank of England, which is, I believe, two, over 250 years old. Um, so in theory, if you look purely at interest rates as a measure of whether or not prices should increase or decrease, you can draw your own conclusions. But if interest rates are as low as they can be, Borrowing should be as cheap as it's ever been, and therefore, 
buying a property or the purchase of property should increase. The cost of buying a property will increase, house prices will go up. Now, you can have the inflationary and deflationary trade-off about almost anything you can think of. Um, let's talk about the increase in population. Um, I mentioned about it earlier with supply and demand. Um, if you have a higher population, um, and this probably is a good way to indicate in terms of regional discrepancies. So um, you've had a general move um, across the last generation um, of people to certain parts of the country. Southeast is is one that's that's highlighted. But let's just use London as an example. Um, London has give or take 10 million people in the population. There aren't enough properties to house 10 million people. So what happens is that those people move further out. So obviously what we see in terms of population is as the population in London moves out because there aren't enough properties in the centre, what will happen is that more there's a higher population moving into those outer areas, into the suburbs. What will happen to the prices in those suburbs? The inflationary perspective of that is that in theory, the prices of those areas will increase. Um, deflationary potentially argument against that is that as people move out, um, potentially the, the value of properties in the centre will drop. However, what we've seen is that people will always be people will always move to areas like London, um, even on, you know even during the, the whole Brexit um, negotiation. You know, people have moved to London, people have moved out of London, and people will continue to to do that. There's a general move of, of population around around the country and around the world. Um, the economy is a massive one, and, and something that really probably requires its own conversation, but. To really, really generalise and to just sort of give an idea of potential most likely outcomes, um, we're going to take two examples, when, when the economy is doing really badly and one when the economy is doing really well. So if the economy is doing badly, if you're in an industry which is doing badly um, and people are being laid off um, or companies aren't growing, companies aren't able to invest um, in increased wages, in productivity, etc., etc. The most likely outcome for property prices, if, if the economy is doing badly, is that property prices will also fall. Um, the general principle is that if people aren't in jobs, they obviously don't have the income in order to get mortgages, they're not going to go and make a big transaction, a big financial decision if they don't have an income because most people will, will wait until they are in a position to make that purchase. Um, if the economy is doing well, what's more likely to happen is that people are um, increasing their um, their salaries, wages are going up, therefore people can borrow more money, therefore they can afford to buy a property that they potentially weren't able to do so. And you have this chain effect which will inevitably lead to an increase in the value of property, the increase in that, that house price index or the generic value of a property in, in England and Wales. So when the economy is doing badly, as a rule, property prices reduce or, or slow down in their growth. Um, when the economy is doing well, property prices will increase or, or the speed of that increase will, will be greater. Um, the other thing is, another thing you can talk about uh, having a positive and negative effect or an inflationary and deflationary effect on house prices is... Um, is government interaction, government involvement. 
Um, one of the big ones, I'm recording this in early July. There's a lot of chat about stamp duty going on at the moment. Um, stamp duty is is a, a short term referring to stamp duty and land tax, which is effectively a tax that you pay when you buy a property. At the moment, there's various different costs. If you buy a, an expensive property, you pay more stamp duty than if you buy a cheaper property on the whole. Um, there's a lot of talk about the government potentially stopping uh, or having a holiday on, on stamp duty. Um, to use that as an example, and, and maybe I'll talk a little bit about help to buy in a minute, but to use stamp duty as an example, that's a cost to buying a house. That's a, a, a fixed cost to buying a property um, that has to be paid up front. If you take that cost away, if you reduce the cost to people buying, what's going to happen is that more people can afford to buy property that potentially we're, we're going to wait to, to save up that money. If more people can afford to buy, what you have is an increase in demand. Supply hasn't changed because there's still the same number of properties um, in the UK, but what you've had is an increase in demand. And if you increase demand without changing supply, what's going to happen is that prices will go up. So if you reduce the cost of buying a property, if you re- reduce the barriers to entry, as they're sometimes known, then you will have an inflationary effect on house prices. Another potential inflationary effect on house prices is house prices is help to buy. So help to buy is another government initiative which is designed to, to help people who otherwise potentially wouldn't be able to buy a property to purchase property. And what happens is that as you increase the number of people who can afford to buy, as you increase that demand and you don't change supply, you have an inflationary effect on house prices. House prices go up. Obviously, the flip side is true. If, if the government were to stop help to buy, there's a number of people who would have been able to purchase property who now aren't able to purchase property. So you're reducing the demand for property and keeping supply the same. So prices will fall. Um, and that's true for both. If you, if the government, and they did in 2016, if the government increased the levy on um, second home tax, which they did for the increased stamp duty for people who buy purchasing anything other than their main residence, what happens is that if you were an investor, if you were a buy sell investor, if you were looking to buy a property for a member of your family, the cost of buying that property has increased and therefore the amount of money that you had available is less, your demand will drop, demand in the country will drop, supply will stay the same and prices will, will fall or potentially the, the increase in prices will drop back slightly. I spoke about interest rates earlier on and it's probably interesting to talk about interest rates and ease of credit. So at the moment, as I said, interest rates are the lowest they've been, but also banks are happy to loan out. If you think about 2008, 2009 in the financial crash, the main thing that happened was obviously there were subprime mortgages which kick-started this whole process, but banks didn't have money to loan out because they had lots of loans defaulting. They didn't know how much money they, they they did know, but they didn't have as much money to loan out as they thought they were going to have when they were doing their forecasting over the previous couple of years. So the the ease of getting a mortgage, anyone who was looking in that, that area at that time will know the ease of getting a mortgage was far, far harder than it is today. If banks are happy to loan out with mortgage rates low as they are, then the ease of credit, how easy it is to get a mortgage will have an impact on, on house prices. If it's easier to get a mortgage, then house prices in theory will increase because you're again increasing demand. It's an inflationary measure, uh, inflationary effect on house prices. If getting a mortgage is really difficult, then the, the only people who will be able to 
purchase would be those who either have a significantly high deposit or potentially cash buyers. It's worth at this point just talking about cash buyers and obviously cash buyers are not included on the nationwide and Halifax house price index. Um, Obviously because those indexes are built up of people getting a mortgage. If you're a cash buyer, um, if you're not getting a standard mortgage, if you're doing something different like a bridging loan or whatever, that won't be included in the index. So these indexes are good, as, as I said, as a tool to see what happened to house prices over time. They're not a good indicator of what the value of a property is at that point in time because they don't have the whole um, data available. They're also slightly delayed um, in the same way that the data that comes from land registry is slightly delayed. So as I said, they are good at providing a way of seeing what is the general trend to house prices, but they're not good as a point in time, this is what an average house is in my area. Potentially something that has a deflationary effect on prices is needing to have a high deposit. Um, this is potentially more relevant um, if you talk about buy-to-let, maybe. Um, a lot of banks now require buy-to-let investors to have a 25% deposit, so a quarter of the value of the property needs to come from them, and then the bank will own the other 75%. If we talk about 2008, 2009, before that time, um, there were some banks offering mortgages of 100, even 110% of the value of the property. So they would, on a £100,000 property, they would loan out 110000 which, if you really think about it, is just really quite crazy that you would loan someone more than the value of the asset that they are currently purchasing. Obviously, it's based on the theory that the price of the asset is going to increase. Um, but if you really think about it, it's a really unusual thing to be doing. Really, housing is the only thing that that, that really was ever done on. Um, and it just clearly didn't work out very well. So I'd be very surprised if we get back to that point in time. I think if we get back to that time, we're, we're potentially looking at another bubble in terms of house prices. If we're talking about loans being given out above the value of the property, that is a concerning place to be based on what happened last time we were there. So deposit levels. If you need to have a high deposit to purchase a property then you'll need to save up for longer. The demand will drop because you are not able to buy a property at that point and and a lot of other people will be in that boat. And therefore, it will have a deflationary effect on house prices. If, as I said, if they were giving out 100% um, loan to value, 100% mortgages, um, then the level of deposit needed is, is nothing. You don't need to save up at all. You just go, right, I want to buy a house 100 grand. Can I have a 100 grand mortgage? Yep, here you go, done. Not a very good idea, but... As deposit required deposit levels fall, demand increases, it has an inflationary effect on house prices and either the speed of growth of house prices or house prices in general will, will, will rise. Um, another thing that, um, and obviously the opposite of that is true, another thing that will, will probably have a big impact on house prices is the cost of renting. Um, so if, if the cost of renting falls, if the cost of your monthly rent falls, then a couple of things will happen. A, if you're in a situation where you're currently renting, the cost of your current situation will fall. It might end up might end up being cheaper to stay in a rented property and keep saving than it would be to buy a property and, and get a mortgage. So it might mean that particularly for first-time buyers or people who've sold and are now renting, the, the value of buying another property might might not necessarily be there. So demand in that case would fall and you'd see a uh, a fall to prices or a reduction in the rise of prices. The other side of that effect is that the return from property would generally fall because most 
properties that aren't lived in are rented out to generate an income or to cover costs in some cases. So if the the return on your investment falls, if the value you're getting back falls, then the return on your investment, the amount of money that you need to put in in order to get the same investment will increase. The cost of that will be higher than the benefit of that in some cases. So actually the demand for investors as well will also fall and so you've got a two-pronged attack where it's cheaper to stay in a property that you're renting and people are getting lower return on their investment the two things will result in a fall in demand where supply has stayed the same um, and you will see a deflationary effect on prices if the cost of rent falls again other way around and that's probably what we've seen over the last generation the cost of renting has shot up massively compared to um, the inflation in or the rise in incomes. And what you've seen over yeah, the last generation or so is a combination of supply not really changing that much, a far greater return from people who are purchasing properties, um, and therefore you've seen prices increase. What happens when prices increase is that people demand a higher return from their properties, they lead into each other. So higher rental prop- higher rental prices mean more people want to buy properties to rent them out, which means property prices go up, which means people demand higher prices. And it, the cycle goes like that. That's another reason that plays into why prices have increased over the last generation or so. So that is a bit of a framework in which that you can talk about and, and get a bit more understanding as to what is happening to house prices. So this is not an indicator of what's going to happen in the future. I'm just talking about what's happened in the past. But if you think about things as having an inflationary or deflationary effect, you, you'll be in a far greater position to understand what you think is going to happen to property prices in your area. Now, that is a huge thing, is that property prices in different areas will change at different times. There is no one-size-fits-all in terms of advice that you can give on what's going to happen to property prices. What you can do is do your research, go and you can go into a pub if you want, you can go into anywhere you want and ask if people think prices are going to be higher or lower in 10 years' time, five years' time, 25 years' time, whatever you want to think about. But if you look at what's happened over the past generation, it is a relatively good assumption that what's happened in the past is going to be a good indicator of what happens in the future. There will, of course, be cyclical changes. There will be things that affect the economy, like coronavirus. There will be things that affect supply, like if the UK or the government do decide that now is a good time to start building property and building enough property. Um, we have not built enough property in this country for a very, very, very long time. And so we have a huge deficit of properties that need to be built. The only way to counter that is to build more properties than we need for a significant period of time to get back to a position of parity between supply and demand. I don't think that's going to happen for a while. I'm sure that there will be properties that are built I mean, 2020 now, over the next 10 years or so, there will be properties that are built. Whether there are enough properties built, I don't know. But if we do have a significant increase in demand, a significant number of properties that are built, or current properties that are 
commercial properties turned into residential properties so people can actually live in them, then we may see a change to supply and demand and that will have an effect on prices. But again, those are going to be regional things, you know, the regional discrepancies. There are parts of the country where, where loads of houses are being built. You know, you, you, all you need to do is go to various parts of where you live and there will be areas where huge number of houses are being built, like big developments. And then you'll go into other parts of near where you live and there won't be any houses that have been built for ages. Um, and look, that is just the way of the world at the moment. But that's where local knowledge and speaking to local agents and knowing where you're going to live is going to be a huge impact on your expectation of what's going to happen to houses. Obviously, I'm based down in Brighton. We are in a situation here where south of us is the sea. We're probably not going to build any houses on the sea anytime soon. Um, north of us are the South Downs, which is a protected national park. So we're not going to go building loads and loads of houses in the national park. So we're, we're effectively the, the meat in a sandwich where you can't go up and you, you can't go north and you can't go south. So the only way to build is to go east and west. And what you've seen is, a, is an elongation of, of Brighton and Hove as a city over time. And there are little pockets of places to the east and west of Brighton and Hove that have seen a, a, an increase in the value of property there because of that overflow, that overspill from Brighton and Hove because there aren't enough properties in Brighton and Hove for the people who live here and therefore you have to see you have to see them go somewhere. They can't go south and they can't go north so people have to go east and west. Um, and again, regional discrepancies mean that certain parts of east and west of Brighton and Hove will have an increase in value probably greater than some parts in Brighton Hove over the medium term. Over the long term, who knows what's going to exactly going to happen to, to the discrepancies in value. But you can use your no local knowledge to have an idea of what you think is going to happen in, the, in your area. So that's a bit of a, an insight into what's going to happen. I think what's going to happen to long-term prices. I hope there's some tools there that will help you think about prices in your area. I'd love to hear feedback on um, on the topics there. That was a really quick rundown. There are so many more factors to talk about within that. So if you have any questions, please, please do get in contact at Sold Podcast on Instagram or it's at Ollie Lucraft, which is O-L-I-L-U-C-R-A-F-T. So there you have it. Thank you so much for listening. Um, as always, if you have any questions or if you want to be on the podcast, you can find me at sold podcast on instagram and also my personal account at ollie lucraft um do get in contact if you have any questions about property about finding somewhere or about selling anything that we speak about anything that i speak about on the podcast and any advice that comes from it is based on my experience it's not legal or financial advice thank you so much for listening have a great week and we'll speak next week